Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be covering this video on YouTube. It's got uh, 6,433 views. We'll give it another view today. And we'll, we'll learn what this guy, Doug Eaton, what he thinks about open theism. And are we going to be surprised about the kind of arguments that he resorts to or, or his opposition to open theism, what he thinks are crucial points? I don't think we are. Last time I watched this, maybe, maybe I don't know, a year ago or something. So this is, that's, I'm taking this fresh. So I'm watching it with you and we'll respond in turn. First thing we got to realize is this guy's like recording this in his garage. One of the interesting things about Christian. So you hear that? You hear that? I'm going to turn down that desktop audio there. And uh, he just, I don't know where he's filming this, but it's like next to an airport or something. You just, it's all, it's all static. Theology and Christian doctrine is how it's all interrelated. If you hold to one major Christian doctrine, it will have effects on your beliefs of other Christian doctrines. And if you change your views on a major Christian doctrine, it's going to change your views on other Christian doctrines. <laughs> you hear that? Uh, it's so scary. Oh, it's open theism is so scary because it's the gateway drug. It's like marijuana. You First you're doing marijuana, then you're shooting up a school when you're hyped up on crack cocaine. Open theism leads to school shootings. But let's go on. We do not hold to a bunch of independent doctrines. They are mm -hmm. all interwoven. And this applies also to open theism. You see, open theism, once again, is a belief that God can know all possible things, but to them, God cannot know future free actions of people. Whoa, hearing that rumbling in the background. I don't know, maybe it's an angry volcano. But he's, So he's categorizing open theism as the future being open. And, you know, I guess. I guess that's legitimate. There are scholars who take that position, the Gregory Boyds of the world. Sure, we'll give you that. We'll give you that. Because the actions haven't taken place yet. So God does not have uh, foreknowledge in that sense. Or, you know, he doesn't have knowledge of what we're going to do in the future. Now, well, no, he doesn't have uh, your particular kind of knowledge that you're advocating here. You're advocating 100% knowledge. It's not the same knowledge that I know I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I've said that, I've used that example like 50 times on this podcast. And not one time did I use the example that I know that I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And not one time did I use it, and then it turned out to be false. So uh, over and over again, I've had knowledge of the future. And it wasn't this platonic knowledge where it's object-based and there's something that exists. Like when I say object-based, I, I come from a computer programming background. And like in your computer programming languages, you'll, you'll have various objects and they'll have a toggle true and false true and false and so you know they they view truth like this that there's these objects that exist these facts that exist that are on this toggle true or false no that's that's not how reality works reality works a little bit it's it's there's more gray area than that things aren't just like true or false 100% true or 100% false there's probabilities that we need to take into account and we need to take into account the just the normal use of the word knowledge and how to justify true belief. So if you're going to use a special definition of knowledge, introduce that to your listener. Don't just assume that onto the conversation because I'll reject it. 
I'll reject it. And you're misleading your audience, what you're talking about. You're, you're trying to associate in their mind your particular definitions, your particular arguments, and you're hijacking words to do that. And that's not their con. You're, you're hijacking language. And then you're going to say that open theists don't think God knows things in the future. Well, only if you use your special definition of knowledge, which you haven't established, and you hijack the normal use of that word. This also will have effects on our views of God's eternality or timelessness. You see, <laughs> God's timelessness. Oh, that oh, I forgot about God's timelessness all over the Bible. What are we talking about? I'm going to have to pull up while we're watching um, this video. I'm going to pull up some quotes from a book I'm reading, God's uh, Presence and the Charismatic. Um, I'll pull it up. It'll be good. But we'll listen to him in the meantime while I pull that quote up. If God does not know what we are going to do, what's going to happen is when we do it, he will be learning. Now, some, way, some of the ways that people try to soften that blow is by saying, well, God knows all possible choices, so he does know. But what he doesn't know is which one is the one of the possible choices we'll choose, according to open theism. Oh, God's going to be learning. Oh, oh, that, that's so bad. We just got to reject that because we, that's a bad concept that we don't like. Uh, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work like that. All right, so I'm going to pull up the quote that I had mentioned before. Here it is. It says, If we are to understand God's relationship to time, our most dependable resource is Scripture. You know, the Bible. If, if we care about God's eternality and his timelessness, we might want to maybe give the Bible precedence when we're talking about these things. Scripture presents a picture of God as one who experiences duration in time. He is never portrayed as distance and static, but always creative, dynamic, and interacting with humanity within our world. Far from existing in some state of eternal now, God experiences time with all the necessary nuance involved in interacting with free will creatures. He experiences grief, surprise, regret, celebration, and dialogue while answering prayers, loving people, and receiving love. The Word of God reveals an infinite being whose eternal nature now exists in sequence with people in their world, the Lord moves behind us, dialogues with us, awaits the future with us, experience and hurts the ravages of the time with us, and faces obstacles and challenges besides us. I'm going to move on. I'm going to skip a paragraph. He just talks about God's not like man, that he's going to fade like a flower. He's not going to get wearied out and old and break down. Of course, but I'll skip down a paragraph. The eternal distant God who at once observes past, present, and future while standing outside the, of the reality of our temporal existence is nowhere described this way in scripture. As Fiddle, Fiddles again observes, it has become clear in much recent discussion that the notion of an absolute timeless God is a concept of Greek philosophy, replacing the biblical picture of the everlasting God for whom time has meaning, but who is not trapped within it as we are. Of course, God is from everlasting to everlasting, yet every human encounter with him appears as if he lives within history. So the timeless God is the God of Platonism. You don't find that in the Bible. He doesn't offer scriptural proofs. It's, 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 I would love a debate that just, just, just focuses on, is God timeless? The, the timeless advocates, all, all philosophy they're going to be talking about because they don't have verses. And the few verses that they do have, 
there are definite counterproof texts that show that those verses aren't actually talking about timelessness. And, and their verses are actually evidence against them. Usually they'll take verses about God experiencing time. One day is like a thousand years. A thousand de- years is like a day. And that's about how God experiences time. And they'll say, see, God doesn't experience time. What? That verse was against your view. That verse was against your view. But moving on, this guy, he, his objection is, oh, God learns things. Oh, oh, he doesn't establish why that's bad. He doesn't, under, he doesn't establish why that's not biblical, that God is gaining information. Remember, the biblical picture of God's omniscience is that God is in heaven and he watches the actions of man. That's constant, a constant refrain in the Bible. This guy doesn't care about the Bible. He cares about his Greek philosophy. We'll move on. Which would mean that God's at least learning that. But here's the problem. If you're going to go from (laughs) not knowing to knowing, you must be inside of time. Well, no, inside of time. What? What? Inside of time? Oh, we can't have that. Open theism is definitely outside of time. God, God, God experiences time. Oh, oh. <laughs> this guy is it's crazy. It's like, yeah, yeah. There's nothing in the Bible about God being timeless. Nothing, nothing. That's Platonism. It's absolute Platonism. I challenge you, mister. We'll have a debate on divine timelessness. And you can only use the Bible. You can't use philosophy. And uh, you have to use reading comprehension skills when you're coming to the text, right? That'd be a good debate. And subject to it. Because those are temporal things. You're changing. You're going from not knowing to knowing. Now, so in several senses, God is not eternal, at least in his... (laughs) You couldn't have uh, re-recorded this? It's a five-minute video. You could have just restarted it maybe a little bit later at night. And there's no cars honking in the background. But his, his arguments, God is not eternal. What? Okay, what? Okay, you're, you're just assuming what you want to prove. You don't think open theists say, yeah, God's not outside of time eternal. God is everlasting to everlasting eternal, where God has endless duration. That's the normal open theist response. Does this guy think he's arguing against someone he's not arguing against? Does this guy know what open theists believe? And does this guy know what biblical scholars believe about Yahweh and Yahweh's depictions in the Bible? Biblical scholars who don't have a dog in the fight, who, who are perfectly willing to admit what Platonism believes, and they'll go through over Plato, they'll go over Plotinus, and they'll talk about how the one was eternally simple and immutable. And they'll recognize that this is not Yahweh in the Bible. They have no dog in the fight. But but they realize that using normal reading comprehension techniques, you can't retroject Platonic philosophy onto the Bible and have the Bible still make sense. Ancient Israel didn't believe that. They did not believe in timelessness. Knowledge. knowledge is not always the same. It's not always... <laughs> see, see, this is this is their their problem that God's knowledge changes because what they're looking at for what they're looking at is this Platonic perfect simplicity, and to have that you can't have changes in God, the character of God, the knowledge that He has. If you recall our previous podcast, it can't be knowledge that comes to Him. 
he can't be affected by the knowledge. It can't be God watches something and gains that knowledge. It has to be knowledge that is inherent in his essence and identical to himself. Platonism. Platonism. This is not the knowledge described in the Bible. You won't find anywhere in the Bible describing this Platonic knowledge that this guy insists God must have to be God. God must be eternal, outside of time, immutable, and his knowledge cannot change. There can't be a gaining of new knowledge in order for God to be this perfect Platonic perfection. This guy's a Platonist. This guy's not a Platonist. Does he pull these concepts out of the Bible? No, it's pure philosophy. It's pure conjecture. And guess what? There's a lot of different philosophy out there floating around. There's nothing, nothing saying that this guy's assumptions on the axioms of what God must be to be God. There's nothing saying that those axioms are true or false. There's nothing. The Bible doesn't opine on this philosophy. It's not written from this Platonic metaphysics position. It just isn't. But this guy's obsessed with it. Eternal knowledge, as scripture seems to imply. <laughs> but if you God... The scripture seems to imply it. It implies it. Why? If you're so obsessed with this, you're so obsessed, and it's going to destroy someone's theology, why doesn't the Bible talk about the extent and the type of knowledge God has and the type of timelessness, especially in a culture, especially in a culture where God is competing with the false gods, the Baals, the Mardukes, are those gods timeless, immutable, eternal? Don't you think, don't you think that a biblical author writing to an ancient audience would, would want to di- differentiate God from these ancient uh, opposing gods in some material manner that people understand this very crucial doctrine that you're obsessed with, right? But no, the Bible doesn't opine on that because it wasn't part of their theological vocabulary. They didn't think like that, and it wasn't, it wasn't this important metaphysics that you want to make it. You are projecting onto the Bible your Platonism is inside of time, then you have two options. You can either say God created time or God did not create time. But if you say God... Or time's not a thing. God doesn't like create square circles. Square circles are not a thing. Time is just a way for us to conceptualize a sequence of, of events. So you're, you're assuming time is a thing, and you do that because you're stuck in a Platonic worldview. But the Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible isn't written with that view in mind that time travel is a possibility. You could go into the past and, and change the future. or No, no. Instead, you got God saying that the future will remind him of the past. Something in the future will bring to mind something that happened in the past. And then he's always calling on people to remember things in the past. He's always talking about his own memories of things that have happened in the past. It's this this present reality, this present duration, it's how we experience life. That's, that's the view of the biblical authors and not Platonism. Not Platonism that you believe and you're forcing onto the text. If God created time, then you have the problem of saying that, well, God created something that is greater to him, greater than him, and he is subject to <laughs> Look at this Platonistic philosophy. So we need to figure out uh, what created what and what supersedes what, and, and that thing is the greatest thing. What about the axioms of the laws of logic? That a thing could be itself, and it can't not be itself. So A equals A. Is, is A equal as A, the axiom of logic? Does that supersede God? Does it? How about A cannot equal B and not equal B at the same time in the same sense? 
A cat cannot be a dog at the same time in the same sense. A cat cannot be a dog and be not be a dog in the same time at, in the same sense. The laws of logic are axiomatic. So do the laws of logic supersede God and now God is, uh, you know, subordinate to the laws of logic? Well, laws of logic are not a thing. They're just, they're just axioms. They just, they just are. It's not... It's not like a taco that I can make and I could eat and it's material and physical. No, they're just they're just ways to conceptualize how reality works. And time is just like that duration. It's it's not a created thing. Why do you assume it is? Why do you assume it is? Because you are a Platonist and you want to bring your Platonism onto the Bible. The Bible's not written like that. You've you've quoted no Bible. No Bible and you've already admitted that uh, you're bringing assumptions from the text that aren't in the text. You, you stated that. To it, which would mean that God is not the greatest being that exists. <laughs> oh, the, the laws of logic are the greatest things that exist because if uh, something wasn't itself, if A does not equal A, then God does not equal God, and then God can't be himself, and then God can't be the greatest thing. So the laws of logic have to supersede God, and God, I'm a Platonist, and I just don't know what I'm talking about because I'm just obsessed with my philosophy. That's not biblical, not in the Bible, not in the, what What are you talking, where do you get this stuff? Where do you get this stuff? It's These are not biblical concerns that you're proffering. And there's no obsession in the Bible of if something... Uh, it controls something else in some manner, then it's greater than that. And like Israel is said to limit the Holy One of Israel. So now they're the greatest ones, right? The lawyers reject the will of God for themselves. Oh no, now the lawyers are greater than God. Now we have to worship the lawyers. That's that's the Calvinist claim, that whoever's will wins out, that's the greater being. The lawyers, their will supersedes God's will, and so the lawyers are greater than God. Calvinists, you should be worshiping the lawyers. Your, your philosophy doesn't make sense. It's all absurd. It's all these baseless, cr- baseless, crazy assumptions that have no—they don't map to reality in the least. And you just you just spout them off as if the Bible endorses your crazy, absolute nonsense views. It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, you pick a new religion, and I got I got a suggestion for that. Platonism sounds like more your thing. Not the Bible, because the Bible doesn't do this. The Bible doesn't care about those issues. The Bible doesn't champion this whole weird hierarchy of whose will supersedes whose and who's great. What? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This thing that exists. And we know that a created thing is never greater than its creator. (laughs) But that's exactly what would happen if we're going to say God created time. Now, the other option is to say, Okay, so since Jesus was a created thing, um, God is, or Jesus is not greater than God, or not equal with God, and God is greater than Jesus, right? Do you say that? Or do you, do you have some weird metaphysics to explain that away? Or how does your view of the Trinity work with you got a great created Jesus being? Of course, it's your, your hypostatic union where Jesus was half man and half human, the, the half of him that was human was 100% human, and the half of him that was divine was 100% divine. And he incorporated this human nature, which is just really an avatar, just like a body that he took on. But he didn't really take it on because that would be a change. And so we don't like changes, and so it's just, it's just a nothing. It's just, what are you talking about, dude? It's crazy. All Everything you say 
is crazy. He said that God did not create time, and time has always existed. But then we still have the problem <laughs> of something that is greater than God that he is subject to for all eternity. Along with that, we have a problem of the infinite regress. How could we get to this point of time if there's an infinite amount of time uh, before us? Okay, so let's, let's pretend this is an actual problem. It's not. Um, that's the same problem you have if, if, if it was a real problem. That would be the same problem you have with a God creating from timelessness. How does a timeless being create something? You don't, get, you don't move from timelessness to creation. It doesn't work. There's no logical step there. So it's an absolute assumption. So even if his claim that infinite regression is a legitimate problem, and it's not, and we'll talk about that a little bit, you, you don't say, oh, your view is more rational. It's absolutely not. It's, your, your view is nonsensical that a timeless being can create a world. It doesn't work. How does a timeless being create? And Platonism has this issue, too, because God is supposed to be perfect, perfection, unchanging. His essence cannot be described, and there's no moving parts. And But somehow you have to come from that to creation. And so the Platonists invented this retroflexion where the perfect in, looks in on itself and creates an other, which starts the dissension into the physical world. And that's the, how the Platonists tried to overcome the, the perfect immutable being having some sort of creation. But it's, it's not rational, it's not logical, and you got nothing. How, how infinite regression is not a problem for presentists like myself, as we say, there's no such thing as the past. There's only the present. All we have is an arrangement of now. You think that reality works like a movie where you just zip forward and zip back. And I'm watching a movie, and I'll just move the slider, and those events still exist in the world. No, it's not how reality works. It's not how reality functions. We know that if uh, something happens, it, it can never be undone, and it's gone in the past. We don't have access to that anymore. There's no such thing as time travel. And time travel brings all sorts of its own problems to bear on the issue. It's just not a rational view. And so presentism makes sense that the past is not a thing that exists, and that works because we, we don't have an infinite regression if the past isn't a thing. All we have is now. All we have is what exists. And that's what perspective, remember, the Bible is written from. That the past is done and gone away with. The future is still possible and open. You can't access the past and change events. There's no time travel in the Bible. They don't talk as if the past is an actual thing still. It's history. It's gone. It's done. There's no, no undoing that history, right? This is, this is how the Bible's written, from a presentist perspective. You, you have to overcome a huge hurdle to impose on a very specific Bible that talks all the time about God, his actions, his motivations, his thoughts. And you have to undo all that, you know, throw that in the trash. That's what you guys like to do with the Bible. You, Oh, the Bible says something? Don't care. I got my Platonist theology, and I believe my Platonist theology because it meets my perfect being hierarchy that I invented in my own head. And we'll throw the Bible in the trash and timelessness. Yeah, we'll impose that on the Bible. Who? What ancient biblical scholar who's secular believes that the ancient Israelites believed that God was timeless? No one. It's an absurd belief. 
It's absurd. That'd be the same thing as, uh, like, say that there was an ancient Homeric scholar who claimed that Zeus was timeless in uh, the Odyssey, the Iliad. That guy would be laughed out of out of uh, his college or wherever he's teaching because it's an absurd belief. No one, no one should take you seriously. Getting here. Now, that would be like us trying to drive to Las Vegas, and we see a sign that says, Las Vegas, an infinite number of miles away. Let's say we drive for 23 years at the speed of one. <laughs> okay, here, here's another, another thing. There's an infinite number of points between any two points. So, like... Like, uh, let's say I want to walk across my room five meters. There's an infinite number of points between those two points. And there's an infinite number of, uh, you could split the seconds that it takes me to walk an infinite number of times. You could always, just that. just how language works. But I could, I could transverse an infinity. I could take a step and I transver- transversed an infinite number of points and an infinite amount of uh, units of time, didn't I? Oh no, I'm transversing infinity because, because my name is Doug Eaton and I don't understand reality and how limits work and how time works and I just bring my Platonistic assumptions and pla- paste it all over the Bible. Do you, think, do you think the biblical authors would hear this guy? Like Moses is sitting there and he's, he's watching this movie by Doug Eaton and he says, oh, this guy has some pretty god dang points, and I definitely agree with everything he says here, and that totally lines up with everything I've written about God. What? No! No! You're just talking the nonsense. You're talking the crazy talk. What's the next sign we're going to see? It's going to say Las Vegas, an infinite number of miles away. We haven't even gotten closer. Um. We could never get to Vegas because of this problem of an infinite an actual infinite. Now, we can never get to this point of time if there's an infinite amount of time before us. I think there's an infinite amount of time in this video this guy recorded. So these things come into play and they're going to affect how you view God. Because this would mean... (laughs) That the Bible would be true if open theism was true, but uh, um, I'm a Platonist, and so I throw the Bible in the trash, and I, I... I just replace it with my own conjecture that I made up in my own head, and I make videos on YouTube that's just me talking about philosophy that has nothing to do with the Bible, and I can't point to biblical passages that reinforce my views. That God is in process. God <laughs> oh, is learning. What? God is learning? Uh, God can't learn. Never mind that the Bible says that throughout, that God regrets his own actions and that he learns things and that he expected things that didn't materialize and that prophecies are given that are subverted, even prophecies that don't look conditional. And some prophecies fail in the Bible. Just imagine if the Bible was true. My name's Doug Eaton. God is changing. (laughs) What's your If God changed, imagine that. There would be some change, and and then there would be some change, and it would be a really bad thing. I trust me, the change is bad. I don't, I don't this guy, this guy. Is becoming. <laughs> but these are all things that Scripture and Orthodox Christianity does not expect. The Bible absolutely doesn't. It doesn't at all describe a God who changes, who learns, who learns. Imagine. Learning, oh, having knowledge that you didn't once have, and then adding to your, uh, adding to your knowledge, 
you add to your knowledge? What? Can you imagine that? I would be, the Bible's definitely against that. The Bible says there's no knowledge that God ever learns. It's definitely in the Bible all over the place. It's like you open up the Bible and that's what it describes of God, that God does not gain knowledge passively that is inherent in his being and identical to his assets. Assets, right. My name's Doug Eaton. So these are major problems. And think about this. If God knew, or God cannot know future events of people and choices that we're going to make, all the statements that says God foreknew us are really empty statements. They're, they're so empty. They're, there's there's no, way, no way to take those statements other than my conception that I have of those statements and trust me because I really know the Bible and I know the Bible definitely says God cannot gain new knowledge and God's not learning things passively. So I know the Bible and it definitely, definitely can't be anything other than what I, I have conjectures about those verses. I don't know what open theists say precisely because I've never looked into it and I don't deal honestly with my critics. But trust me, I know the Bible. My name's Doug Eaton. Because he can't foreknow us. Oh, He doesn't know whether we're going to choose him and repent or not. I had no idea. There's, there's no way to tell things in advance other than eternal foreknowledge from before time began in a changeless perfection. No other way. No other way to know who would do what and why. This, I, can't, I can't imagine another way. So when scripture says those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. He can't do it. <laughs> he can't. According to open theists, open theists, when they turn to those verses, they have they have no response. And they just say, I don't like this part of the Bible. And and uh, let's ignore that part. We, we, we can't respond as open theists. What? What? A little bit of intellectual integrity. Mr. Doug Eaton would go a long way. And less of this crazy projection. I don't think you know anything about the Bible. I don't think you use standard reading comprehension techniques when coming to the Bible. I don't think that if uh, there's parallel proof texts that we we show you that are about man, which with phrases that you take about God as negative attributes, and uh, these pre- predestination, pre- pro-horizo texts, when, when we look at that word used in ancient authors about man, I don't think you'd be able to identify them in the paragraph. I really don't. You're, you're, you're out of whack crazy. You don't know what these words mean. You don't know what elect means. You haven't done a word study on it. You haven't looked at uh, Jack Hesus Moore's book on election. That The entire book's on the word elect as it's used throughout the Bible and even the Septuagint. But you don't know anything about that. Open theists, you say, just we don't have any answers at all. And you're a pretty intellectually in integrity type of guy, right? You have intellectual integrity. You're genuine. You don't misrepresent your critics, do you? Do you? To open theism. Let me leave you with this verse. Oh, yeah. Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. See, eternal knowledge that is identical with God's essence, 
And it's not a passive knowledge learned through interaction and personal relationship with King David. See, my verse proved it all. My, I absolutely understood that verse in context per the speaker, what the speaker is trying to say in context. But don't turn to the end of the verse. Don't turn to the end of the entire chapter where God talks about how, or when King David talks about how God knows him. And he says, search me, try my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Maybe, maybe if I was an intellectually honest uh, Calvinist, I would say perhaps the way that King David describes how God knows things about him, perhaps that's the way that God knows what he's going to say. Maybe, perhaps, maybe, maybe it's the testing, the personal relationship that's mentioned in the very same chapter. But my name's Dougie, and context doesn't matter. And anytime I read a verse, it just means whatever comes into my head that reaffirms my own theology, and I don't care about anyone else's views. My name's Dougie Eaton. God knows even all oh. the words that we are going to speak. God knows it all, and we feel safe in his safe hands. And those open theists, they, they don't feel safe. They feel scared. They're, they're scared inside. And they don't know what, what's going to happen in the future. And, and anything's up. Maybe gravity reverses tomorrow because God doesn't control things. And the future is not knowable in open theism. And they have no hope. And then they just, they, all these, my, my beautiful proof texts that prove all my theology, they, they don't have any answers. And I'm intellectually honest. My name's Doug Eaton. Now words are free will they have free will, free will choices, and they're known. And how do you know a free will choice unless you've eternally uh, identified that with your essence in a timeless eternity? There's no way. There's no way. Don't, don't look at the end of the chapter in which the methodology is discussed, but there's no way. No way. I, I, I can't. I can't. I'm a, I'm a pretty good scholar. I can't think of a way. Just some things to think about in relation to open theism. Yeah, yeah. God bless. All right. Yeah, there was some mocking at the end. It's, it's because the intellectual integrity shown by these critics of open theism is just is just absent. It's like these guys don't think through their arguments. They don't think through possible pitfalls. They don't apply standard reading comprehension techniques to understanding their verses. And the, it doesn't sound like they've ever interacted with open theism. They haven't read the books. They haven't read the responses. They're not, uh, 2009, 2009. You don't think that uh, his proof text and his points were addressed before 2009? I do. I do. I just think this is an intellectual integrity problem. And it's pretty systematic with critics of open theism where they misrepresent open theists. And they bring in all their loaded assumptions and they don't look at context and they just, they are so desperate for proof texts. They'll grab anything out of any context and claim it's their proof text. And so it gets a little bit funny. And I like to laugh because, you know, what's humor, but juxtaposing reality with the absurd. You usually have the straight actor, the, the person who's playing the straight face, the rational person, and you put them against the person who's just talking absolute nonsense, who doesn't understand what's going on. And the hilarity increases the more that they double down 
on their irrationality. And when these Calvinists come to these proof texts like uh, Malachi 3, 6, uh, I, the Lord, do not change, and they double down. This is about timeless immutability into the foreseeable future and timelessness and what? What? The context is totally against that. The context has God changing. And the end of Malachi 3 literally has God writing a book of remembrance as so the righteous don't get accidentally punished and when there's the actual day of the Lord that they know who's who, right? That's that's how Malachi 3 ends. So I, d- I don't think that it's about timeless, immutable essence. This little phrase ripped out of context. It doesn't even make sense in the verse it's quoted. I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you're not destroyed. So how does one lead to the other? It leads to the other because God's talking about his promise to Israel, his eternal promise, his covenant with Abraham, which was unilateral. And he's saying, you guys are so wicked, so wicked. I, Under normal circumstances, I should just kill all you guys. All you guys um, are worthy of death. And, uh, you know, I might do a thing with Moses. I just wipe you all out and start again. But I'm true to my covenant. And so I'm going to, because I don't change, I'm true to my covenant. That That's the reason you're not destroyed. So contextually, contextually, God is changing. God is responding. God is calling up people to react. And it has nothing to do with timeless immutability. But people like this Doug Eaton, they'll just grab anything out of any context, as we saw from his use of the Psalms. He doesn't know what he's talking about. All right, this has gone long enough. Thank you for listening.